Greetings, children, and welcome to my chamber. My name is Rotherick Gastblood, and I'm your host of Tales from the Dark Chamber. This week, we have a great show for you. Tales to make your skin crawl. Each week, my chambermate and I read a scary tale that we found on the internet, or perhaps left under some corpse. Either way, we think you're going to like it, and we're just dying for you to hear it. So sit right back, light a candle, and let's have a ghoul evening. Okay, socks, shirts, underwear, <laughs> very important, uh, shoes, flashlight, coat. Are going somewhere, Woody? Oh, hey, Rothrick. Yeah, I'm going away for a bit to do a little research for the episode I'm writing. Really? Uh-huh. Going to Old Wilmington, North Carolina, to tour some old haunted places. Perhaps your old dormitory room. <laughs> no, UNCW only had bad food. It wasn't on the list of haunted places, though some of the professors were certainly scary enough. So, what places are you going to see? Well, that town has been around since the 1720s and incorporated in 1739. With all the old houses still around, I should be able to dig up some ghosts. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> dig up, like you, <laughs> a ghoul. A woody. Do you know how to get to Carnegie Hall? Uh, well, I think it's in New York, not Wilmington. So I would probably take a plane to LaGuardia and... Oh, you ninny. Practice. Okay. Uh, practice your comedy before you take it on the road. Oh, that should be the Uber driver to take me to the airport. Well, I'll see you in a week. Much later. Ah, Woody, back from your haunted trip, I see. Yeah, and not a bit too soon. Did you see any ghosts? You can say that. I went on all the haunted tours... Visited all the known haunted places. Hung out in old cemeteries. By the way, do you know of a guy, I mean ghoul, by the name of Cornwall Jack? He says you owe him a lot of money. Something about an arm and a leg? Um, no. Never heard of him. Hmm. He seemed to know you. Well, anyway, there was this one ghost, or at least I think it was... This gray lady who would move in and out of the rooms really creepy-like gave me the chills. And then she took my hand and it was cold as ice. Freaked me out. Simply frightening. Yeah, right. Then the scariest part of all? Oh, what was that? She wanted to get romantic. Which, given the circumstances... Now, that doesn't sound scary. No, but then she said she wanted to binge-watch... Keeping up with the Kardashians. I ran for my life. But that does remind me of tonight's stories. We read three tales from the old seaport of Wilmington. 
Enjoy. Clawing at the Ether, The Last Regrets of Samuel Jocelyn by Nicholas Gray. How now have I come here, into this box, since there is none? It is a coffin, shut with nails, topped with mud. Whoa now, Samuel, slow down your breath. Whoa, evermore, I talk too much. I thought too much. Surely some gravedigger hears my howl. Or you, Alexander. We were Jonathan and David from the book of my namesake. Recall your passions for the unknown. We did oath whoever left first to tread the great beyond did promise to return to truth-tell from the other side. Zandy, I fear, I fail this oath. For I know not rightly if, presently, I live or die. So is death to doubt oneself? So is it such exactly thus? Though blood stills, my mind remains. Nay, damn my doubt. Surely the tatter of my burial dress, my desperate finger scratching to the bone, this hideous moment is no illusion. My father, with his lieutenant, gavel pounded to send me six under. You should have cried. Nay, I see life in him. Recall. We were near conjoined. Were that indeed the case, I can see an organ now. One extra breath. One heartbeat might save me. Recall our charm with cards and dice, when paired together, our purse ever doubled. Recall the only thing we cussed on, my horse, you despised riding. Upon my steed, madly I ride. Why, oh, why? Why, oh, why? Ah, Marianne, we had a spat, not the first, but you know that eight months of married unbliss. Recall that cold night I rode off into the swamp. Something did spook my steady steed. Twas it a dumb stump? A dumb snake? The rattle of a cane break. Ah, now one thing does rise me memory. Memory, you child witch. What was it you threw me? As my corpse submerged, pulse submitting to the freeze, another witch did appear. She stole me elsewhere. Swamp water became the river Styx. I begged to be heard. I clawed at the ether. She granted me return, but only to this pale resting place. Am I now just desperately mad? Cause now death doth take my last breath. My strength crushed by this coffin lid. I budget nil. I have three words for you, my Zandy. But breath escapes. Please, dig me up. Clawing at the Ether, The Last Regrets of Samuel Jocelyn by Nicholas Gray Falling Place 
The Lament of Major General William H. C. Whiting, CSA By John Wolfe One black night at Fort Fisher, under the gnarled skeletal limbs of the live oak, I sat down to listen. I heard the whispers of wind in the grass and the mournful monotony of cicadas, and I could just make out a muttering man's voice. Now I return to my falling place. Curse that January day when the warships plagued the horizon like swarms of black flies, and the humid air was choked with smoke and the screams of my men dying in the marsh. To me, my fate was no surprise. I knew when I first greeted Colonel Lamb at Fisher's Gates. His face grew gray when I told him we were to be sacrificed. How fitting for a lamb, but that we would be abandoned by our own. Overwhelmed at the river's mouth by the near whole of the Union Navy. How could I have known that? You malaria-riddled bastard brag. The best Confederate general the Union Army ever had. So close. So close. He ordered his men to sit on their muskets at Sugarloaf. And that meddling politician Davis ignored me to the last. Bullets laid me supine in the sand when I refused surrender. Blood. Blood was spilled upon this sand. Cactus spines impaled our flesh. Bones decayed in the needle grass. The mosquitoes who gorged on lifeless blood in their tireless pursuit of the living essence. Their descendants remember. I cannot forget 1,900 brave boys, Carolinians all. Now, a blurred mirage on this inhospitable spit of sand, this desolate end of the earth surrounded by the turquoise sea from which death arrived on white ships wearing blue. Where are you now, my boys? We are all lambs now. War, the great equalizer. Death, the greatest equalizer of all. The ghosts of brave men roam lost. At least I have my dear Catherine. We rest together at last at Oakdale in the shade of a magnolia whose rotted blossoms blanket our bed. A mottled granite shield marks our bones. But rest I can't. I'm doomed to guard this windy shores. Eyes cast forever to the north. But who is this? Hello? Who intrudes on these black grounds? Another of my lost lambs? Or a damn Yankee? Closer now. And let me see the color of your coat. Falling Place The Lament of Major General William H. C. Whiting, CSA By John Wolfe 
Homecoming by Nan Graham. Tramp, tramp, tramp. The mysterious sounds of heavy boots trudging slowly over the wide plank floors echoes in the room. A low moaning voice calls, David, David. A feeling of phantom hands tightening slowly around one's throat. Guest, docents, and staff have reported these ghostly encounters at Poplar Grove Plantation. Don't all respectable southern plantations have at least one resident ghost? David Foy could never envision himself running Poplar Grove, the peanut and sweet potato plantation that he, as firstborn, was destined to do. The 21-year-old son, University of North Carolina class of 1861, A.B. diploma in hand, rode his dapple gray home for his father's funeral with the last letter he received from him tucked in his coat pocket. The letter's closing words read, Union forever. David thought of his father hunched over the oil lamp, shuffling through endless paperwork. Tensions were high. David defied his father's wishes, engaged a local man to oversee Poplar Grove, and left to join his classmates in the Confederate Calvary. The frenzy of youthful enlistment fever had David, and so many other testosterone-driven young men, in its grips. He believed it his duty to serve his South in the great adventure. A slim, hot-tempered man, David Foy cut a dashing figure astride his horse as he galloped off to the training camp outside Wilmington. The road to glory was not to be. Struck down by typhus in the spring of 1862, only three months and five days after he joined the Confederate camp, where he likely contracted the insect-borne illness, David never saw battle, much less combat. He returned home to recuperate from the merciless disease, nursed by his ailing mother on a cot in the back parlor, only steps across from the despised plantation office that haunted him. Poplar Grove, the life he wanted so desperately to escape. Four weeks he lingered, plagued by chills, fever, and unable to eat more than spoonfuls of broth. His cot was moved to the window parlor in hopes the lush herb garden and bustling stable workers would inspire him to recover. At dusk on a humid June evening, the young man breathed his last. David, perhaps feeling cheated of his military dream in victory for his cause, still roams the family home. His chilling presence seems especially to lurk around the office where the plantation business was handled for 75 years. Tramp, tramp, tramp of David's boots as he stomps to the office. Can the disillusioned firstborn, trapped by duty, be trying to leave Poplar Grove once and for all? Communicating with strangers his longing for adventure outside the routine of the fields and crops and slaves. Is it his papa's voice calling him home? His dying words ringing out. Hey! Vid, David, that some have heard. All I can tell you is that recent paranormal experts tested the office and reported that the sensitive needle on the K2 electromagnetic field detector moves from the normal yellow scale in the half-moon meter 
to the far right in the red. Ghosts? Maybe. Something? Definitely. Homecoming by Nan Graham The Blue Door by Nan Graham The low, soft voice settled over the room like the evening dark. We Papa in heaven, let everybody honor your name, cause you da holy. Juba knelt by Nora's bedside praying. She glanced at the restless mother-to-be and saw she was finally drifting to sleep. She loved this ailing woman and barely felt the discomfort of another late night. Hands folded in prayer, she continued in her Gullah language. It felt more powerful in the strange patois she had heard since babyhood. Le we don't have had test when Satan try we. Keep we from evil. Amen. Juba rose and sat in the rocking chair near the window of the nursery, the chair that had held so many mothers and little ones for the last three generations. She watched the sleeping woman with her mountainous belly. Poor Nora Dozier Foyle, mistress of the Poplar Grove Plantation, was nearing her borning time, the fourth birth in nine years. First, a girl, then two baby boys, all born with howling voices that seemed to predict robust infants. Then, mysteriously, within hours, silent and still. Nora's husband, J.T., had a bed moved into the nursery as a good omen. As a precaution, Juba put the broom by the head of the bed. One Gullah apparition, the dreaded boo-hag, was known to crouch at the sleeper's chest to steal his skin, causing him restless nights. Much as cats were rumored to suck the breath out of a sleeping baby, the boo-hag could suck the life out of the sleeper. A compulsive creature, the boo-hag is compelled to count every single straw in a broom or hole in a sieve. For extra measure, Juba tucked a carefully folded piece of newspaper into the toe of Miss Nora's shoe. Similarly, haints were obliged to stop and read every single word. The process took so long, the meticulous haints were notoriously slow counters and readers, it would be dawn before the counts were completed. At daylight, the unsuccessful boo-hag would vanish to find another skin to inhabit. Nora took Juba's advice and convinced J.T. to paint the back door, the port ceiling, and the nursery window sills light blue. Cause that color will guarantee a boy child, Juba promised. She never mentioned the real reason. Every gullah knows evil spirits will never cross water, so windows, doors, and ceilings painted sky blue or indigo color would surely fool the demons. Baby boy Foy, after 26 hours of agonizing labor, lived only three hours before he lost his breath. Maibo! Chuba chanted over and over, holding the now still baby. Ebo means little one in English. Nora's grief was overwhelming. She would not have another pregnancy. Later, she would adopt and raise her nephew to be their heir. At Poplar Grove Plantation, the children's room is inhabited by at least one maternal presence. 
If you walk up slowly, you may see that rocking chair by the window rocking slowly back and forth, back and forth, with a low, rhythmic creep. The Blue Door by Nan Graham Well, folks, that's our story tonight. Rothrick and I hope you enjoyed it. We sure had a great time bringing it to you, and we really appreciate you listening. Tune in next week when we bring you another chilling tale from the dark chamber. And just a note, if you're an aspiring author and want your story read here on Tales from the Dark Chamber, send us a note at talesfromthedarkchamber at gmail.com. If it creeps old Rothrick out enough, we'll air it. Hey, subscribe to our podcast for notification of our next new episode and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to like us there too. Also, make sure you tell your friends about us. Spread the word. Now, if you want your story recorded for your own use or just want to have it, check out my website at woodygvoiceover.net. You can order it there or you can find me on Upwork at Woody G. And again, thank you for listening tonight.